Hello, hello, hello out there in developer land. This is Scotty and this is iDeveloper TV. No, iDeveloper Live, so I don't even know the name of my own podcast anymore because I've been on vacation. Episode, I think it's 62 actually. And uh, oh, here we are. The show is brought to you this week by Invasive Code and by uh, Rem Objects, and we'll talk about them a little later. But I really want to talk with my friends first, so let me first speak to Mr. John Fox in sunny San Francisco. How are you, John? I'm dandy. I'm, I'm even dandier now that you refer to me as as your friend and not kind of I don't know your. Uh, uh, no, I will. I will refrain from any foul words that came to mind. That's very unlike you to refrain from foul words, John. But there we go. Uh, see, how do I get a link now from foul words to our guest? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you're supposed you t- to give me something nice. Some nice words to our guest, Mr. Chris Ross. How are you doing, Chris? Not too bad, sir. Not too bad. Uh, currently enjoying the nice overcast weather in Brighton. And uh, yeah, very nice to chat to you guys. Excellent. We'll find out a little bit more about you in just a minute. But we, we like to let you talk a little bit before we tell people who you are, because we don't <laughs> want their opinion changed. Uh, I, I've just got back off vacation, so there's probably been loads of really important stuff happened over the last two weeks that I have absolutely no idea about, um, and I don't care. I was having a lovely um, holiday in uh, sunny Cornwall until um, the wind absolutely destroyed the tent that we were camping in, um, and so we came home. And so I've been vacationing at home for the last uh, five or six days, and it's been very pleasant. And John, you're you're at home again now. Finally, after my my European world tour is over. And so, uh, now, are you on the ball? Or are you jet lagged today? Uh, I'm jet lagged like crazy. I've been up at like you know one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. I find it basically takes one day per hour of difference. Really? Is that is that some sort of scientific thing, or is that just just John Fox? Uh, I have no idea. Um, I think I've read it somewhere, so I must have believed it and therefore internalized it. But I find it to be true. Yeah, but was was it what you summered? Basically, you summered the whole summer. That's that was a really stupid statement. See, I'm not with it yet. In in Amsterdam or Amsterdam, as we like to call it now, yeah, was it a worthwhile experience? I know you you've spoke to you there a few times, but you know, was it worth it? No, absolutely. I I, I cannot keep uh, speaking uh, sufficiently well of the entire experience, and I'm actually looking forward to to meeting the the, the Dutch Consul General here in San Francisco and some other people with some organizations that that promote Amsterdam and in the Netherlands as a, as a good destination for tech companies and to see what I can do to, to further strengthen the bonds between San Francisco and Amsterdam. Oh, the Dutch Consul General. See, I come home from place and say, I'm trying to hook up with a guy I met in a bar and you're trying to hook up with the Dutch Consul General. Wow. Or was he in a bar? Let's not go there. <laughs> no. <laughs> not that type of bar anyway. No, no. <laughs> All right. Okay. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. I developer TV. Uh, I develop. Oh, well, I stop calling this. I developer live. If we didn't have a have some news, so let's make some up, John. I, I think then here's the news, and this is very important. Simon, are you listening? Now, Simon, we uh, we give grief, and I probably lob more than anyone else. But I want to say Simon has been on a tear recently with his his blogs, which are very thoughtful, very well done, and absolutely worth a read. And I hope that we'll have them in the show notes. So, Simon, lest I, lest you get the impression that all we want to do is turn you into a punching bag, which we do, let, you know, do not draw the conclusion that we don't find other redeeming qualities in your life. Okay, Simon is in the chat room, Mr. Wolf, so let's say hello properly. Rawr. <laughs> oh, he hates that so much. I just love doing it because I know how much he hates it. Of course, he's been spending all this time writing blog posts that he's not no further on Avtag, has he? 
Is that true? <laughs> well, sort of. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the Avtag Diary has been delayed again, but I know that when it comes, the next one is going to be awesome. But hold, hold on a second. Isn't the etymology the root word of diary something like dia, like daily or something? Isn't there supposed to... I mean, how, how do you how do you make the word diary? That's like once every millennia or something. <laughs> I think it's just to do with a, a a journal of a certain frequency. He's just chosen to not be very frequent. Okay. There we are. I mean, I, I, I have actually, you know, I think I spoke about this a few episodes ago, but I've been on vacation. I've done a total memory wipe, which means I can start all over again and just say anything I like and bore everybody with stuff I've said 27 times before. Yeah. Um, but I have seen uh, the Avtag and, um, it, it's, it's looking good and I've, you know, uh, it, it definitely exists. But, uh, you know, Simon, I don't know. He's just not quite ready to tell us more about it yet. I, I think he just wants it to be, you know, of Olympic ceremony opening proportions. The next, the next episode. I mean, you know, it's four years in development. Ten thousand people are going to be involved in the next, um, in, in the next episode, and there's going to be music. Yeah, you know, they're going to draw bands like the Who and the Rolling Stones back in there. Yeah, you know, in, in for our next thing, and it's going to, you know, there's going to be. You know, they've got, got fifty thousand school kids rehearsing for the next episode of the Avtag Diaries. It's going to be awesome. Well, okay, let's just ask this: Which will take place first, the release of Avtag or the final? We're serious. We're never going out to perform again. Again, uh, of the who? Oh, I've tagged without doubt. Okay. <laughs> oh, why today? Maybe that's a bit dodgy. If you said the Rolling Stones, <laughs> okay. But but the oh, serious dear. the serious news is: that, Are you not excited about the fact that that AppNet was funded and then we seem to be on a on a turning point for the development of of, of social media software platforms? I think it's been really interesting. Has been funded, uh, and we were talking just off air just now, and um, all three of us uh, uh, have joined app.net and i think myself and and chris you said you went for a developer account yeah so i mean my situation is that i have a top secret twitter client in development just like every other developer in the world um and uh with twitter's recent that with with their recent uh uh announcements with the various api stuff i was like oh maybe maybe it should be a client for something else and so I, i actually went and looked I was already started looking at app.net more seriously and was like, well, you know, it seems churlish not to get the developer account and not to, you know, play with this new platform, which is designed for people to play with, right? Exactly. I mean, I think there's going to be about 1,750 developer, um, you know, clients for this thing within the next six weeks. Um, everybody's, everyone's doing one. Um but I guess it would. It wanted to. That's the type of environment it wanted to to create. Now at the moment, I'm using the um, uh, the web interface. Now I know that the vast, vast, vast majority of Twitter users use the web interface, but I absolutely hate it. I know it's only alpha, and they've got lots of work to go. So I'm not bitching about you know where it's at. I mean, the thing hasn't even been launched officially yet. But oh, how can anybody use the web for this type of service? It's just it's just horrible. Well, I couldn't figure out how to follow somebody on their web service, so maybe I'm just dull or it's, it's really that bad. Well, you have to go to their um, app.net slash username and then press the follow button. Ah, okay. So you, uh, okay. So you or if, to, if there's an app mention of them and you after them, if you click on I that, see. that will take right, you there right. and then you okay, can press so follow. So it's not them. like there's a search for somewhere if you know their name. Well, okay, can we just put it in the URL? Duh. Um, right. Yeah. Now, there is a... Um, um, oh, interestingly, Chris, did you go for the same username on app.net as you were on Twitter? Uh, no, I took advantage of the fact that uh, their early days and went for my initials. Whereas uh, on Twitter, I'm Darkrock, so on app.net, I'm uh, CTR. Because you know, 
three letter names brilliant I might even get hacked one day because it'd be mm. that awesome right excellent I did the same I got Scotty which I'm wondering now if that's going to be a a good move or not because I'm going to get every Trekkie fan in the world sort of sending me stuff just like you know Justin Williams gets all Justin Bieber's tweets ah, um, oh, spe- oh. now there's the other interesting news the whole hipstamatic uh, uh, oh yes that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, are we done. I, I think it was interesting. App.net got funded. Was it over seven hundred, eight hundred thousand in the end? It's going to be yes. interesting to see what these guys do. The interesting thing for me is almost everybody I follow is already on there. Whether they're posting there or not is another matter. I, I am getting a little bit. Where do I post now? Do I post this on Twitter? Do I post this on App.net? I am getting a little bit. Oh, I don't want to be posting on both, but it feels like oh, I'm not quite sure what to do. So there's two things. I there. The first one, how do you find people on there? I mean, because I, I've got a number of people I follow and a number of people I want to converse with, but I'm kind of at a lost end of where to go to kind of go, hey, I've got all these great people I follow on Twitter. Are they on app.net? And if so, could I please follow them? And well, the other, here's a, here's, I'm sorry, go ahead. I know, it's just, and the other point I was going to raise is, you know, it's app.net's really interesting in terms of, hey, it's another platform. Hey, there's all these people who have paid money to have it funded. Um, and it's open and it's, in terms of the API and it's, you know, the, the, the motives there are very interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens now as it continues, whether or not get critical mass. And, you know, at which point do you say app.net is a successful platform or a platform worthy of note? Is it when you get your kind of first celebrity on there? Um, you know, it, when Justin Bieber, Bieber's mentioned, like if Justin Bieber's on app.net, that's a pretty good sign that, it's successful, right? Uh, well, I guess it's going to depend what they're after. Because, like, for me, if they end up with 10,000, 20,000 people on there, they get their sort of, you know, million-dollar-a-year income that allows them to make the service run. I don't know if a million dollars is enough to run the service or not. I mean, that's just a statement. And the community I want to talk to is on there. It's successful. I don't care if it ever reaches 10 million, you know, people, if it reaches the community I want. So I don't think it necessarily has to have the pop stars or the whatever on there to be a successful business for them. Now, that might be what they're after. Um, but it, the, the point is it's it 50 bucks a year. It's never going to be like Twitter. So if they're competing with Twitter, they've got to drop the price. I mean, it's got to come down to that. I know they want us to be the customer, not just people to put in front of advertisers. They built a revenue stream from day one. That's why I supported it. If it wouldn't been that way, I wouldn't have supported it. Um, now lots of people are not going to pay for it. That's simple. So they've already limited it. Even if they bring it down to five, ten bucks, you're already cutting out the vast majority of people. So I think they've got to make this a place that um, niche communities choose to use because it's not full of all the other crap. And then they, you know they can get ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, which is still tiny numbers in there. But for a small company at fifty bucks a year, yeah, that's a decent income. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so too. And what I was going to point out is that uh, you know I, I've seen this thing about well, I don't want to cross post, but for instance, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Instagram, and it's usually when I have something that I'm creating. If I take a picture, I want to comment on something. I absolutely start from Instagram, and I will often post it to Twitter and Facebook as well. If I if I had a Tumblr, I would put it there. But uh, you know, the, the thing that's very interesting to me about AppNet is is that it can be a repository which I own and I can control because I can get the data in and out very easily. 
and so it, you know a lot of times people might you know you might tweet a series you make a, a couple of tweets as part of a conversation that not it, it's very situational it's something that you may not necessarily care about if you have that 10 years from now but other things that you may care about and uh, you know so it, it it may be a good kind of place where you can say the subset of things that you would otherwise put on Twitter or other places but that you really care about you could uh, put it on AppNet um, because you you own it, and then with services like Singly, it becomes very easy if if you are a not just a Twitter client, but don't think of it as a Twitter client or an AppNet client, but just basically as a general purpose social media client. And then you can decide, you know, where you want to post these things, and 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 it becomes this useful kind of archival service. So that's that's, that's a way I think about it. Um, just for um, Chris's benefit, um, Craig in Wales in the chat room has pointed out, and I have used this. There's um, Find Friend. Um, is it Find Friend or is it Friend? Friendfind.co um, is a service that will, if you give it your Twitter account, it will try and find all the people that you follow on um, Twitter and give you their AppNet username, even if they've sort of changed it. It tries to get a match somehow. I don't know if it does it. So that's one way of finding people, Chris. That's cool. I mean, my, my main concern with services like that, and I guess this is the chicken and egg situation, is you know the number of times I've had friends DM me with, hey, have you seen this picture of you? Because they put their Twitter details into some random website, and I guess I'm just a little bit anxious about that. But uh, I guess if people are recommending it and people have used it, then uh, I'll check it out. I would totally agree with you. We make no no claims that it's safe. You could be giving your username to anybody, um, you know, it, it, but it's, it's a wolf. So I, in theory, it should be safe. There we go. <laughs> I said in theory, I didn't say it was okay. Uh, hipsmatic. Yeah. We hadn't even spoke about this in pre-show, but let, let, John, yeah, you, you raised it. You can, you can open that topic. Uh, what about hipstamatic thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the news that's been understood is that seven people were let go and, uh, and they basically said that we're going to you know, move in different directions. And these are people that are, are well known in the community. Jonathan White, Justin Williams um, are the two people that I know. And then, you know, a couple others that were designers, writers, and they had a coherent team. And there was much, you know, uh, I should say range of emotion. There was anger on the part of the people that were let go. There was kind of, you know, disgust saying, why did you do this? I have to say that I'm not a. I don't use Hipstamatic. Um, I think it's clever software. But from what I've gathered from looking through it, I read somewhere, and I don't know whether that was in, in a, in a third-party discussion or on their website itself, that basically says, well, Hipstamatic is really a lifestyle kind of you know company that happens to have some software. And if you, you look through their website, you know, they, ha- they, they are really the ones who kind of popularized among, among hipsters this, this uh, you know, uh, analog fetish, this analog style fetish, which is of course typified in, in their software. But they they have a magazine. They have like these you know old analog photo uh, you know camera making looking uh, iPhone um, cases and whatnot. And so my my gathering from it, especially also having having gone to the WWC party that they had at their headquarters, that that that's you know. Did you drink so much beer that you put them out of business? No, not at all. I didn't drink any beer. That's the other thing too, is they were serving PBRs. It's not beer; it's swill. Um, <laughs> so, but but anyway, so I'm 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 not entirely shocked that they made this choice. 
but it also kind of brought up this whole discussion about you know uh, you know they didn't take any money. Instagram took a lot of money. They just sold themselves. Everybody thought, oh, look, Instagram kind of ate Hipstamatic's lunch. All they did is throw some filters, but they concentrated some on, on some other things. But I think the difference between Hipstamatic and Instagram is, you know, one is a pure software company. The other one is this lifestyle company. But it, it's also just very interesting to, to watch this, you know, human drama unfold. And it, it is one of the things I do like about Twitter, I have to say, just because you, you get this volume of people on there. But it will be, you know, these are, are well-known people, super talented. They, they, they clearly have been receiving lots of different offers, and I just, I, I certainly wish them all well, and, and I, I look forward to, to seeing what they do next. I mean, that's the interesting, isn't it? I mean, these people that we, the ones that we know, anyway. I'm, there were some of the guys I don't know, but lots of the names that uh, came out, I know. You know, they're, they're, they're in the Bay Area. They're good devs in the sort of iOS and sort of that arena. Then they're, they're not going to be looking for work very long, are they? No, I don't think they're going to be looking for work. I think work is already looking for them. They just have to choose what they want to do. But you know, what was interesting is is, is uh, Justin Williams has started blogging again, which he hadn't for a long time. And his most recent ones, I, I found very interesting because it's all part and parcel of this thing. I think a lot of we're, we're in the in the the phase of, of of a bubble cycle where people start asking themselves, you know, have I have I done the right thing with my life? You know, devoting myself to a a, a startup or or a company of any sort that that's very high flying and you know saying uh, you know i moved out here I, I turned off my 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 own indie products to to focus on somebody else's and you know poor justin williams what he joined just before wwdc and then you know they decide sorry we don't want your work anymore you know and and, and similar i think you know jonathan had been at uh um, who was the, the the textbook company i'm spacing on the name beforehand um you know and 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 i'm, I'm sure for him and, and others, they're like saying, "Gosh, you know, is this, is this what I want to do in my life? You know, riding this sine wave of 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 up and down with with other people's companies." There we are. So, was that news really that we cared about? I guess we cared about it because with the developers that they'd employed were sort of reasonably high profile beforehand, and um, so you know, it, it it made the news. But you know, companies come and go all the time; they change direction all the time shouldn't be surprised really i guess should we no all right okay so let's talk to our guest sorry chris wants to say something we want to let the guest have a word now in the end <laughs> that's okay I mean, it's, it's quite nice it feels like i've got the plush front row seat on the podcast it's it's nice it's uh it makes me feel special i might have to see if i can persuade you to let me just sit here and listen like this every week um yeah i mean it was a the, the two things interesting, the one thing you said is that, you know, this kind of um, dot com, this, this bubble type um, thing, like similar sort of thing happened to uh, people who kind of poured their heart and effort into Zynga and they've been screwed in a similar sort of way. Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, kind of, well, thanks for everything you've done. We're letting you go now or thanks for everything you've done. We're not going to actually do whatever we promised and so on. But I think one of the things that made me chuckle about the hipstamatic thing is I saw someone tweeted um, a very dry, very sarcastic tweet saying, basically, yeah, you know, that's how I'd run my business, by getting rid of my uh, core engineering team. And it's just <laughs> yeah. like, well, you know, it's, you know, what, what, what are they going to do? Are they, are they, you know, I didn't realize they were quite such the lifestyle company. Is that it for their software? Are they going to try and, what are they doing? Are they going to rest on their laurels? It'd be interesting to see what happens. 
indeed, indeed. It's going to be interesting to watch. It is right. Let's 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 get on to some stuff that people maybe actually want to hear. <laughs> maybe they don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, so before we do that, I guess before we move into the next section, uh, I guess is it our feature segment? Let's do the feature segment. Feature, feature segment. Man, man, man. There we are. We didn't do that very well, but we're out of practice. Let's uh, enjoy. Chris is our guest. Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am an iOS Mac developer. I run my own little small company called Hidden Memory on the South Coast uh, in Brighton, East Sussex in the UK. Um, and basically, we do various bits of uh, iOS software for clients and ourselves. But I mean, the reason why here is uh, to chat to you guys about a bit of software released a while ago called Resource Helper, which hopefully will make most people's lives better. Um, and yeah, that's kind of basically it in a nutshell. Um, right. Okay. So we're, we're here to talk about Resource Helper, which is a, a utility. Well, you, know, you tell us what it is. That, that, will, that will be better because you'll get it right and I'll get it wrong. So you tell us what it is. That's fair enough. Um, so I guess I'll start where it was born from. Um, so we do various client projects and um, it's interesting to various podcasts, especially with design, where you, you hear you know, half the time the developers want the PSDs to cut, them, cut it up themselves and export them and do all that work. And the other half seem to want to get the designer to, to, to do it. Now, I personally prefer the designer doing it because it means that they understand how stuff could be chopped up. And it means that they kind of, when they're designing, they have a better idea and a better appreciation of what the, the design work actually turns into. But this kind of poses a problem because as a developer, I care about the exact pixel dimensions. I care about whether or not you know, I've got a retina graphic and a normal graphic and whether or not they scale and all sorts of, you know, just lots of little kind of issues. And we're working on a project and it is, it was an iPhone app and an iPad app and it was universal and the interfaces were fairly similar across both versions in terms of look, but they required different assets. So for each button, there was four different images. And it suddenly occurred to me that I had no idea whether or not the stuff that uh, designer was exporting was actually correct. And I quickly whipped up within about an hour and a half, a little bit of software, which basically scans the directory, looks at the images and goes that you're missing the, the normal image there. You're missing the retina image there. Um, or they're not, they're not scaled correctly. Gave it, ran it on the software and, probably 70% of the image groups had problems. And it's like, it was one of those kind of holy shit moments. Like, Oh my God, I cannot. And you know, went and ran it on previous pieces of software. And suddenly all these cracks were appearing in software where it's not obvious just from a quick glance. It's not, obvious. It's, it's gone through various QA and it's just slipped through, through the, the, the gap. So anyway, I gave the tool to the designer and an hour later, I get an exclamation sky going, it's green, it's all green, because the little traffic light indicators told him that all the images it exported were A, correct, they scaled correctly, and there was none missing. And that was basically the birth of Resource Helper, and we continued to use it. And it then became very apparent, chatting to other people, this wasn't an isolated problem, no one else had really solved this problem, and so decided to polish it up and, you know, use our as we use our own dog food, decided to um, roll it out there. And I've yet to have a developer use it and come back and say, hey, you know what, Chris, this tool was completely useless because all of our graphics are correct. And even people who have been argumentative about it 
and said, oh, I ain't doing my mistakes. And ran it and like, you know, you had that kind of shame face, puppy dog, head drop, eyes looking up, tail down, going, okay, maybe, maybe we're not all perfect. So, so, so basically, this is, is a t- this is a tool that means that you know we all make mistakes. Um, resources, uh, graphical resources, in our applications, and not as developers, the bit that we we focus on fully. You know, we we sort of can sometimes just assume that the right ones are there. This basically is is a check for us. Yeah, and it's. I mean, th- there are things where, as a developer, I like to spend time building beautiful interfaces. I don't like spending time worrying about it. Are all the images there? I just want to spend time building the stuff. I want to take the hard work the designer has done and turn that into something that looks great. And you know, computers are really good at scanning through data quickly. They're really good at looking at image and image sizes, um, and that's the core tenet. And in fact, there's one other thing that I added at the very beginning, which was incredibly useful, um, is, I don't know about anyone else, I, it used to drive me crazy when you click on an image in Finder and you look at the properties below and there's just a dash where it says dimensions. Mm-hmm. Because for whatever reason, Spotlight's not got the information, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just It drove me crazy because then I'd then have to open up the image in Photoshop. And look at the info panel. And it just seemed to take way too long. So that was another little label I put under each image so I could just easily see how big the image was so I could go and make sure that in Interface Builder I had the correct UI image view or so on. So, so I mean, let's make this clear, make sure I understand this. Resource Helper, which I do have, uh, is... Um you know, it, it's not just there to make sure the images are there. You know, it, it does that deals with the problems like you know, okay, is the two times image really two times as opposed to a pixel out or two pixels out, and, and just checks all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and you know, when you scan when it scans through a directory of images, um, to make it straightforward, it will group images by their name. So you know, it knows about at two x. It knows at two x till the iPhone, till the um, iPad, it knows about those relationships and groups them together and you get a little traffic light system. You know, so if it's green, you don't need to worry. If it's orange, then that normally means that there's a scale problem. And if it's red, it means that, hang about, this image is missing. Can you kind of put it there because you're going to have issues? Um, but I mean, that's kind of what it does at a very basic. Because, and then it suddenly was like, well, what else would be really useful? And so one of, one of the things I tend to use more than anything else is uh, stretchable images. Um, so, right. for button, so, so for buttons, for um, various controls. And before I had, you know, I had to open up Photoshop and count the pixels in and the height and work out what it is. With Resource Helper, you select the image and you go to the image menu or code menu and Select the UI image stretched, and it will give you the put the code on the pasteboard to get that UI image to do the um, and with all the stretch dimensions already calculated for you. So you don't even have to do that anymore. Um, and it just yeah, you know, it saves so much time. There's, there's there's a few screencasts which are worth checking out because there's there's some nice workflow there like the ability to use a global hotkey to pull you from xcode into resource helper do a search use a hotkey to grab some code or grab some dimensions or so on and it will sling you back into xcode where you can just paste in where you were where you want that information 
So, so I mean, so th- but this is, this doesn't rely. You say this works on a folder as opposed to working with an Xcode project. Yeah. So, I, mean, it, I know, know that's because it, so it, it wants to see the images in a single folder, or does it deal with subfolders, or how does that work? Oh no, no. It, what it will do when it when you you select a folder initially the before it went to the Mac App Store, you could select an Xcode project or you could select a folder. But due to our wonderful friends at Apple and their sandboxing restrictions, you just select a folder. You So you select the top-level project folder, and it will recursively scan through all the folders looking for images um, and then group them up and work out where they are. So it will even detect things such as if you have, say, foo.png in one folder and foo.png in a different folder – It'll go, hang about, there's two different foo.pngs, which if you try and compile this into a project, that's going to cause you problems when you're referencing images by name. Um, it is. Uh, there's also a few bits and pieces in there in terms of validating the Xcode project to check that you haven't missed out including images and, uh, and so on. It's, uh, it's basically a Swiss army knife to take on the pain in the ass bits of images, resources and development and make it so you spend more time doing the fun stuff. So do you consider your itch um, completely scratched or are there things that, that you think that you would like to go forward with on this this project? Um, my current situation is very much that of um, there is about 15 or 20 itches to still scratch. So, I mean, there's some stuff which makes sense like um some more tricks in terms of checking so one of them is say for instance your designer exports a uh, a banner image that needs to sit at the top of uh, an interface nib file um and you know when you create it the the banner is 300 pixels wide but then it turns out that actually on a f- later export it's changed in size it will then, what I want to do is have, so it will scan those nib files and go, hang about, you're referencing this image in this nib file, but the dimensions of the image are different to the image view. And lots of little things like that, where it's very easy to lose those and very easy to find yourself in a situation where, you know, it just doesn't quite look right. Um, there's stuff for scanning the source code, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff. Um, one guy at Dub Dub uh, came running over to me. He goes, "You're a resource helper, aren't you? You're a resource helper." I was like, "Yes." He goes, "Ah, oh, we use continuous integration. Can we have some tool that allows us to use the resource helper validation stuff in our continuous integration environment? So it'll fail a test if and and so there's lots of ideas moving forward. There are various things in development um, to just evolve it and try and find the pain points developers are having." in their development when it comes to resources and so on. And so, you know, we, we've now spoken to a number of, of developers who are making tools for developers. And, and you know, you're feel free to, to say it's none of our business, but I'd be curious to know how high is the mountain of cocaine you ski down every every weekend as a result of, of the fabulous sales of this product? So, um, in all honesty, I have to say um, the... <laughs> Sorry, I've just seen Craig's comment in the chat room. Um, unfortunately, uh, yes, I don't have a decent mic. I could do with a better mic. I do apologise. Um, in terms of money, it's basically covered its development in terms of time spent building it. Um, 
the advantage is it's very much a tool that we use ourselves. It's a tool that we um, use on every single project. So really, if it's more of a the reason for charging for it is such that people understand that it's a piece of software that actually costs money to build, but it's it was never released to piles of cocaine. Maybe no, not very much. <laughs> So we were just commenting that uh, you had recovered the costs of the um, of the development of Resource Helper. Now, I mean, yeah, let's be fair. You're selling it for nine. Is it nine ninety nine dollars? That's nine dollars ninety nine cents, not nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Um, you know, so it's not like you're trying to rake it in. I mean, developer tools. You know, uh, so really, it's yeah for that sort of money. I'm not expecting the the product to suddenly grow into this huge feature list. It's you know this tool does this job that's great um you know and another little tool will do this job, and that's great and developing a workflow as you say so yeah I, John asked you about more features and you have a few, but I, I see this is probably not going to become too complex as a product. it's going to just remain a part of a pipeline yeah i mean the, the aim is to be in a situation where it does so if a feature's going in it's got to be a feature that makes sense that isn't going to slow things down. I mean, I don't want to turn it, turn it into kind of a behemoth of a tool. Um, but certainly the game plan is, you know, if there is a feature that takes uh, a fair chunk of time to develop, you know, if people who have already bought it, will get a new version of it. Uh, will get that, those features, but the, um, we may just bump the price. We may not, don't know. It's, it's quite focused at the moment. It works quite nicely. Currently got a Retina MacBook Pro fix waiting for Apple to review. Um, and also actually going to tweak it slightly such that it also will detect whether or not the project is a iOS project or a Mac OS X project. So you can use it to, to deal with uh, Retina stuff for OS X. Uh, so that's quite useful. John, were you about to say something? Well, I was just going to say, so it sounds like, you know, whether you you build a serious application with many more features or make another, you know, kind of smaller apps that can work together in a workflow, it seems like there's still a chance for you to be able to satisfy the raging coke habit you just admitted to. It's, I mean, you know what it was actually, um, with all of it that's been really good, is you never, it's... When you get when you release a bit of software like that, and you you tell your Twitter followers like, oh, you know, that's really good. The, the best thing was um, sat in the canteen at Dub Dub, feeling pretty tired. Sat down, and, you know, you had that conversation. So, what's your name? Oh, my name's Chris. What do you do? Oh, I do this in resource helper. He's like, oh, this guy's like resource helper, and then he went through and basically told me of every single feature he liked it, which is pretty much all of them. But that felt really good. That was really nice to hear someone else getting as much out of it as we have and um yeah that's that's a really nice feeling that's really really good to go where the other developers are and be in a situation where it is um the response is really good i mean i don't want to flog this you know make it boring for people because you know basically it's a tool that checks your resources does a job it does it really well it's 10 bucks no one has an excuse just go out and buy it on the app store even if you only use it once on one project you know it's 10 bucks you know, it's I mean, 10 bucks. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Go was, buy it, get on with it, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, someone did say to me the other day that, you know, it, it really is the sort of app where if you buy it and you find just one problem before you submit your app to Apple and you never use the tool again, 
it's worth it because you then don't have to be in a situation where you submit it, you go through the review process, you download the app and you go, damn it, I missed that image. Yeah, I mean, because we all know, you know, that's another seven days in review, isn't it? So, you know, that's, uh, it may not be much development time, but it's, you know, release time, that's a real pain in the backside. So, you know, for 10 bucks, don't miss it. Okay, so I am going to move us on, but I'm just going to give you the opportunity. Is there anything else you want to tell us about it before I move us on? Um, I would love, genuinely love, and, you know, this is an honesty thing. I would love for one developer to approach, go, you know, I downloaded this and I scanned a project and genuinely there were no problems. I, I want to know if that per, that developer exists out there. I want to, it, just for, for curiosity's sake, more than anything else, and I'll buy you a beer. But we're talking a project that's not just been phone new. I'm guessing. No, no, absolutely. No, no. I like get, get it, run it over some of your old projects. And if you find a project of a reasonable sophistication that's been submitted to the app store that maybe has more than, say, 10 images, that's what I'd like to know. I just, as I said, it's more of a curiosity point than anything else. Right. Um, so um, when we get your contact details at the end, then people can, um, can do that. Now, you are a double bonus super duper freebie extra special guest because we're going to do two feature segments with you two totally different ones so let's two move, whole um, segments before, before we do that i'm just going to deal with the sponsor let me just see which sponsor i'm going to deal with because these sponsors help us pay our bandwidth bill and keep everything who should we do with invasive code john help me with this one invasive code invasive code invasive code everybody loves invasive code they do everybody does love invasive code so who are invasive code they are a, uh, um, a consultancy and development house um, based actually in, in, in Europe and in San Francisco, uh, run by our good friend Jeppy. Uh, they have um, uh, they basically want us to talk about their iOS developer training. So if you've been doing Mac and you've not gone to iOS yet, or you're one of those people who listen to this podcast because you're just really interested in development, but you're developing you know, for some other platform at the moment, you know, these are guys you want to go and check out. Um, they've basically got an intensive five-day iOS development training program. Um, I think the next one is 17th of September in Barcelona, and then there's one on 1st of October in San Francisco. Um, they're advertising on their website um, now that the classes from now on, by the 17th of September, the classes are iOS 6 ready, so they're going to tell you about iOS 6 as well. Um, you know, They run for five days, seven hours of lectures per day, plus two hours of lab time in the evening. What they, what they do is they open the labs again in the evening and you go back. You can go back in, you can finish the projects from the day that you were doing. The instructors will be in there. You can you know make sure you catch up. So that's, that's really good. And, of course, you are going to get access because one of the things we love about Invasive Cope, and this is a bit I pop on about, is there will be no more than 10 people uh, on your training course. So you're not going to go there, be in a room with an instructor with 40 people, you know, get left behind. You know, 10 people means you're going to get access to the the trainer you're going to get all the materials you get lunch and uh and breakfast and coffee um and you know we've had good feedback about them um and so you know just just go check them out now you want to go check them out at um uh, on, on invasivecode.com is is the website go to the training area they do other stuff check that out as well um and if when you're inquiring about one of these courses and you want to book on if you in the email just say everybody loves invasive code you can get 200 euros or 200 dollars off how fa- how great is that that's a pretty epic uh, discount yeah that's that that's that's pretty good so that's invasive code they've been sponsoring us for a long long time um you know they're great guys they're part of the community um you know the, the, these are not you know this isn't the ad now this is well they don't write the ads down we just make it up as we go along We're not making it up it's all true but you know what i mean they just say come on you guys talk about us that's fine you know they don't they don't sit there and say you must say this you must say that um you know 
but what I, I love about Jeppe, who's the your main guy there, he, you know, he he is a real part of the community. He's one of us. He's a developer. You know, you bump into him, you have a coffee. He's just, you know, he's a great guy. Um, you know, he's not just out there to milk this. He loves this stuff and loves training other people about it. So, you know, please do check them out. He gives good... He gives great blog. He regularly blogs with fantastic code samples of stuff that you can just pop in and start using right away. John, you're breaking up. I didn't quite hear that, but uh, we'll um, we'll. Uh, I- I'm looking forward to listening to the editor's episode, so I know what you've just said. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a hook to get down on the podcast, right? Just find out what John said. <laughs> yes, <laughs> some people will say find a benefit in listening live, so they don't know what John said. But there we are. Right, <laughs> let's have a- John. I didn't mean that. I love you really. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for feature segment number two. Where was the echo, John? Have I offended you that much? Never mind. Two, 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 two. It's a long echo. It has to get all the way to Mars and yeah. back. Okay, so, um, Chris, when we were at um, iOS Dev UK um, yes. in, in Aberystwyth, Wales, um, enough said, uh, we... Um, I think it was a dinner one night. I can't remember what it was. We've been to a pub somewhere and we were just chatting. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about a, a video that we both watched um, yep. um, called Fuck You, Pay Me. Mike Montero. By Mike Montero. And um, you just then really started uh, just telling me how that, you know, that you'd watched that video and um, you'd sort of taken it really seriously and you'd gone off and done a lot of the stuff and the prep work that he talked about in that. And I just thought that was, you know, um, really interesting that you'd gone and done that and you'd, seen benefits from that um so can we just for the benefit of those who haven't seen it there'll be a link in the show notes in fact i've got a link into the chat room right now as well you know um you know what was fuck you pay me about so fuck you pay me is in my opinion by the by the way um people who are listening i find this topic one that i get quite enthusiastic about and passionate about and so i do apologize if the old expletive or profanity slides out of my mouth um it, I, yeah, I, I can feel how I felt whilst we were sat there at that table talking about this video, just the emotion coming back. It feels so strong in my chest. So, um, yeah, Thank You, Pay Me is basically a video. Mike Montero runs a design company called Mule Design, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Mule Design. And he ran a talk in San Francisco for other designers. And he, the, the basic premise of the talk was, we're all designers – People out there are often going to try and screw us over because they think we're an easy uh, group of people to roll over. And actually, you know what? We just want to get paid. And he, you know, within the first minute and a half, he's got the whole room kind of chanting, not in kind of a weird way, but it might sound a bit weird. Fuck you, pay me. After, he, you know, various reasons and excuses as to why a client hasn't paid. And... You know, this subject drives me crazy, and I see it on Twitter on an almost weekly basis. People going, oh, man, a client hasn't paid me. And, you know, my first reaction is like, have you seen this video? This video is freaking awesome because he goes through a lot of really sensible things. And, you know, not even things that are that crazy to follow, and there are certain things... I mean, I've gone through and done pretty much everything he's done in that, and it has had a benefit. And it's, you know, whenever someone says to me, I'm thinking of starting my own business, or I'm thinking I'm going freelance or something, I'm like, look, go and watch this video, because you're going to need to go and do this stuff if you want to make sure that you get paid at the end of the day for the work you have done. I mean, yeah, okay, let me me give you my summary. The basic premise behind this is um, this is a situation that is going to happen. 
at yes. some point. Um, and basically his argument is that you need to have tight contracts and you need lawyers and you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't hesitate about that. You shouldn't feel bad about that um, you know, because contracts are there for the benefit of both parties yes. and to make sure everybody gets what they want. And I just know, you know, how do I say this? We as developers are about the tightest people on earth. <laughs> you know, we we don't like spending. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm running a business trying to sell things to developers. You know, I, yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm eating porridge <laughs> from every meal. Yeah, you because know, you guys don't like spending money. Um, you know, and the point is, you know, you know, yeah, you know, lawyers are expensive to work with lawyers and whatever else, uh, um, or solicitors in the UK or whatever it is. You know. You're spending lots of money, but his argument is this saves you money and it saves you heartache. And he goes basically through a whole bunch of stuff. You know, your contract must deal with this, yeah. and your lawyer must be involved in this, yeah. and whatever else. And, and and you've taken that to heart and, and gone through it. Was he right? Uh yeah, pretty much on all accounts. So, I mean, when I first started doing hidden memory, we did various. We, we do client work, and so we have that whole kind of let's try and work out a great relationship with the client. And generally speaking, it all boils down to the very simple equation. When you're doing work, you do a great piece of work for the client, they pay you. That's it. That That is basically the whole relationship. And I, I didn't go and get a solicitor for quite a while. And you know, I did that at the beginning of this year. And it was expensive, but it already um, has proven worth it because... Um, the ability for me to be in negotiations and know that I have a standard set of terms, knowing that the company's got a solicitor that I can phone up and say, look, Mark, I've got this contract. These guys want to do this thing. I'm not entirely sure what the situation is. Can you have a look at it? And he'll charge me an hour's worth of time, which is expensive per hour, but you know that could protect you and ensure you get paid later down the line. The ability to put what your terms are and how you want to work into your terms and conditions meaning that when you're entering an agreement or you're just protected and 95% of the time it shouldn't cause a problem 95% of the time you'll get paid on time but there are some clients where you've got to say look you know that 30 day grace period or the 15 day grace period I give you to pay the invoice that's not 15 days and then you should start thinking about it it's 15 days and you should have paid me and when they haven't paid you you want to make sure you're in a situation where you are protected you know what your rights are you know what they've agreed to and it doesn't make it any easier when you have to send that email saying i'm really sorry guys but you've not paid your invoice and this is like the end invoice you've not paid and therefore I'm suspending support and I'm suspending warranty and you know you know that development stuff you told me yesterday how urgent it is I'm going to stop it and it is amazing how quickly way they'll go back and look at the contracts and go well this guy's completely allowed to do this and the and the money shows up the next day but it's that protection of the contract it's the protection of having been to the solicitor and said this is what I want to say to them this is what I want and they, you know, it costs you money, but you can then have that protection. Okay, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna start. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna ask you um, uh, a few specific questions about it in just a moment. But I, uh, there's been a, a um, 
a statement in the chat room I just want to pick up on. I think I'm interpreting this right. Um, that's saying, yeah, I've been subcontracting for bigger companies and you have very little control over that. You know, I, I mean, maybe we're talking about whether that's payment terms or the contract. I don't actually think that's true. I think basically we, we can assume it's a bigger company, therefore we must sign their contract. I, I don't think that's true. No, I, I don't think that's true either. I mean, I've we, we've done stuff for bigger companies, bigger clients, and what was interesting is maybe it's because we're in a situation where we're doing kind of new stuff, and so iPad and iPhones are new stuff, and we're the experts, and it's not commonplace. But actually, most of the conversations start off, hi, we want to do this, and we go, okay, if you want to do this, you can do we can do that. We can help you do that. And this is these are the terms under which we do it. These are our terms and conditions. And the number of times people have said, no, 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 here are our terms and conditions. None. Because that's the way the, that's the, way the conversation has been. I think if we were to be in a situation where we had draconian terms enforced on us, still having a solicitor and still having that contact and being able to say, look, this is, this is what they're suggesting. And... I've got some friends who did stuff for a, a very, very, very big, very, very famous company. And it was just two of them. And they still had a solicitor. They still went into the conversation and they were still able to have a bargaining and negotiation because they had, rather than just roll over and say, okay, we'll take this contract. They actually went back and said, no, no, these are, these are terms that we have to work by. These are terms we want to get folded in. And with all stuff, one of the things to really remember and this is this is the difficult thing and this is where it is actually difficult because you don't want to rock the boat too much is if there is a contract placed and they want something more then you get something more you know it's it's a give take situation and a, 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 you've got to balance it out because if at the very beginning of the contract you roll over and you abide by all of the things they're asking you are already their bitch and you're already setting yourself up for a situation where they can go, well, you know, they, there was no actual bite in the contract negotiations. Therefore, you know, they're not going to bite when it comes to us not paying them on time. And so, so you've got to build that relationship from the very beginning. You can't. And maybe I'm being too idealistic, but it, it seems to have worked so far by saying, no, this is how we work. This is these are things which we won't budge on. And, and I think the the well, the key thing here is if you're in a contract negotiation, you cannot come across as desperate. No. If you come across as desperate, if you're going to take the work regardless of what the contract is, then really you're screwing yourself and you deserve everything you get. If you're if you're prepared to sign a crap contract as opposed to walk away, you, yeah, you, if they don't pay you or they invoke the terms of the contract that aren't great, you've only got yourself to blame. Exactly, and it, you know it's. Especially when you've got the current economic climate, which, you know, there are times where you go, oh, God, I need to I need to get this contract because if I don't get this contract and, you know, those situations do suck and that desperation will come across, which is why it is even more important to kind of hold your ground and show the professionalism that you are. You know, you do a good job and this is the terms you do it under. And it's difficult. It is incredibly difficult, which is why it's really useful, you know, watching Fuck You Pay Me watching going and talking to a solicitor talking to other people in the same area and going hey you know what do you do how do you solve this problem because the other thing that is frustrating is you know if everyone rolls over when it comes to late payment as opposed to going no fuck you pay me 
then it becomes the norm. And that's kind of insulting. To be, in, to be in that situation where, you know, people just, everyone just rolls over and go, oh, they haven't paid, I'm not going to raise it with them. You know, it's it, it's something we've all got to do and we've all got to go, no, look, we signed a contract, you said you'd pay these terms, you're not paying them, I'm going to kick up a stink and a fuss. I know about the, you know, in the UK we've got the um, Late Payment of Commercial Debt Act, which allows us to put an administration fee on top. And it allows us to charge interest on the unpaid for every single day the invoice is late. We are allowed to, by law. Okay, so you've spoken um, quite a lot about about payment. And obviously, so I'm guessing one of the things that have to be in your contract is the payment terms. Yes. And um, I'm guessing also the consequences of not meeting the payment terms. Yes. So, I mean, in the the con in the in the contracts and t- well, we, I've got one of the things we got the list to do was set up a, a very specific structure of you know we we have a spec sheet that says this is what the work is going to be here are special conditions, and where anything isn't mentioned here here is our terms and conditions. Here is our general support contract. Here is our general warranty, which allows us to you know just do, deal with the specifics. But you know, in our contract, we can terminate. And they have to pay us for the work done so far. If they, there are all sorts of um, legal structures that allow, give you power when someone hasn't paid. And it talks, but it doesn't just talk about what happens if they don't pay and the penalties. It also talks about how the conversation starts. How, if there's, you know, say the people go, oh, we're not going to pay the invoice because you haven't done this work properly. Right. It covers those issues about how you manage that. And it gives that structure before before things go wrong, because you can't introduce that structure once things go wrong. Um, but we and, and you know, the general thing is we will terminate everything. We will just basically walk away and we'll do. Uh, I can't remember the exact details, but we also have the ability to pause services we have the ability to we we will um, we will charge interest based upon a base rate of bank X's um, standard interest rate and so on. So it gives us that ability to penalise should they not pay up. And from experience, having those in there and then referring to them when you're having the conversations of why haven't you paid is fantastic motivation to for people to pay. Yeah. Um, but okay, so I mean, payment terms is really um, you know quite important. But what you know, give us a few examples of other things that uh, that you make sure are in these contracts. Um, ownership of IP and what is owned by who, and when that gets signed over. Um, so, for instance, we have an internal library which we use for most projects to expedite the boring stuff, right? So we don't keep reinventing the wheel. So the money that the clients pay goes to actually developing new and interesting stuff for them. And so we have it in the terms of conditions and contract that say this exists. This exists before we even sign this contract. You do not own this. We will give you a um, non-exclusive limited license so you can use this code library just for this project. And what that means is that we can have this library, we can use this, and there's no confusion. As, oh, and, it, and it also says everything else that we do specifically for this project, we will sign over to you at the point in time of complete invoice settlement. 
So that's another thing that we do is we won't give a client the code base for their applications until all invoices are paid up. Okay, so two things there. First, you don't get the code that we've written for you until you've paid, but equally, you've dealt with the very important issue that you're using code that you've used elsewhere. Exactly. Um, oh. And they get to get a copy of it, but it, they don't own it as such. They can no, use it, they, I guess. Can they use it in other projects that they do themselves? No, 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 no not even yeah. that. They, they, they have the license for it is explicitly for that project and that project's loan. They're not allowed to use it for anything else. And we also actually have some provisions in the contract to say we will also use um, open source code. We'll, we'll use third-party libraries, and those libraries remain the owner ownership of those people who wrote them. And, but what we will do is ensure that whatever license they're under, they are able to use them without having to worry about issues arising as a result of that. And that's, that stuff's pretty important because what you don't want to do is be in a situation where you have your own code and then you've got a company knocking on the door going, oh, but why is this code appeared somewhere else? Why, what, what's going on here? Didn't we pay you for this code? And you can go, no, no, actually, this is the situation. This is how, how we structured projects. This is how we deliver things. And it's useful. And, and so there's certain things like that that are really useful to highlight when you're having the contract negotiation, just so people are aware of it beforehand. And it, I guess that's the message, right? Whatever you want to say, whatever, however you want to protect yourself, talking about it beforehand, before anything goes wrong, is much better than trying to raise it in a crisis situation. Yeah, because, I mean, when, when, you're, when you're doing it before the work, you're in a negotiation. When you're doing it after the work, you're in an argument. Yeah, and, you know, it, was, it sucked to be in a situation where for one of our clients we had to suspend some services, but, and you know, it ruffled some feathers, but, you know, one of the, the, one of the main guys from the company came back and said, look, you know, fair enough, we discussed this during the contract negotiation. We're aware that this, was ha- this would happen. And so actually the relationship didn't fall afoul. It didn't go, it didn't spiral something terrible because we'd already spoken about it, because we'd already raised that. Um, and there's just other stuff like standard boilerplate stuff in the contracts as well. Like, you know, if um, the company, stuff like um, we will help, we will provide support and warranty given a certain time frame after the, the application goes live, where live is defined as being delivered to beta testers and or going to the app store. And just various bits and pieces like that, that just manage expectation and allow, give you that protection. And, you know, you, you may find that as you go through and have different clients and different things crop up, you'll go back and amend your contracts just to cover things that you thought, you know, the, oh man, if that had gone wrong, that would have been terrible. We need to make sure that we're covered in the future. Even things like Apple's review, like we are, we will do our best to help you get your app through Apple's review process but fundamentally speaking, it is all down to Apple. We are not Apple. We cannot control that process. No one can. Because that's really important, I guess, because if, you're, if the app gets rejected from the app store, you know, that's an argument. Well, you didn't get the app through. We're not paying you. That's gotta, you've got to make sure you're covered. <laughs> yeah, so um, one of the things, when we first started, we kind of got, were a little bit naive in that we are like, well, you know, we'll, we're going to do the work and we'll invoice people and we'll have like a 30-day payment term because everyone's got a 30-day payment term and that's what we'll do. And, you know, that, that was okay. But, you know, for longer projects, that can be quite frustrating because you're doing all this work. You're not going to get the money until you finish the project and then 30 days if you're assuming everything goes to plan. So we started charging money up front. And at first it was a bit nerve-wracking. It's just like, so this is what we do. 
and no one has asked, no one has questioned it at all since we've started doing it. And we do it on a very short payment term as well. And so the idea is behind it is to put, ask people to put their money where their mouth is. And it's a chunk of the project cost. And, you know, it allows you to find out if alarm bells are going to start ringing very, very quickly because they are, um, because they're late in paying the first invoice on the short payment term. So that is really, really, um, I, I, one of my one of my best tips like if you do anything do that and the other thing we tend to do is have it such that then the lion's share of this the project is actually invoiced at the point in time where the app is ready to go for submission because at the point of submission that's when both we and the client sign off the fact that the project is sorted like we're, we're happy that it's ready to go live and then there's a small amount of the project cost that gets paid once it goes live and that way you know it's staggered so you can check that the client's going to pay and you not only check the client's going to pay but you then also invoice them and so they can start that that ball starts rolling of the invoice period when you've submitted the application so and no one's battered on it. No one, no one's asked, gone, everyone's just like, okay, fair enough. Well, that's, okay, that's, that's what happens. And that's the, that's the curious thing is that if you don't ask, you'll never, ever know. So it's always worth asking just in case they go, okay, cool. So, okay, so we've looked at payment terms, we've looked at IP. Any other important things that need to be in there in your opinion? Um, trying to think what else we put, have put in there. And the rest of it is all fairly standard affair, such as um, uh, limiting. So one thing that is very useful to have in, in the contracts is we will provide a warranty for X number of days. We'll provide support for X number of days, um, but only for stuff that we've done. So if, for instance, you do a project and they take it inside and they start changing it, you need to make sure that they're not, in a situation where they think they can just phone you up two months down the road and said, this isn't working. Well, have you changed anything? Yeah, we've been working on it. Well, it's not my fault anymore. It's not my problem. Um, actually, Craig and Wales goes, what about the delayed supply of assets? That's actually, sorry, that is actually a really good question. One of the things that is within the, 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 the per thing, per, um, uh, per client sheet, um, is the requirements from the client. So normally it's like the client must have an Apple developer account, uh, the client must provide access to that, the client must provide any assets within a timely fashion. If they don't provide them, then we will, it, it will be, the project will be delayed and so on. So it's, it is important that you, from the word go, work out what you need the client to provide for you whether that's technical resources, whether that's access to specific systems. And also, if you're in a support situation, that's also important to say, look, you know, we won't be able to do support if we are doing, if you don't, if you don't provide us all the information and all the access we need, we can't help you. So it's, the contracts, you know, in my head initially were quite scary, but actually if I quite like them nowadays because it allows you to say, this is how we want to work. This is the expectations you can have from us. This is the expectations we have from you. And it's really important to make sure that that's all sorted before work starts. It's all important to make sure that that's sorted 
before and the money and everything and the payment terms and the IP because it just means that you can then actually all of that stuff's out of the way you both know where you stand and you can actually spend the, ne the next chunk of time actually building great software and doing awesome projects and you know su to surprising and delighting people excellent I mean okay just how long I mean I don't want you to reveal uh, you know, obviously business confidential details, but you know, how, how long did it take you really to get this sorted out? And you know, so so, so the, when the a, you know, the, the, in terms of the cost of getting this sorted out, I mean, we it's going to be dependent on business to business. It's going to be dependent on where you are in the world to what lawyers and solicitors cost. But you know, so, 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 so an exact figure will be an irrelevance anyway. But you know, okay. So I mean, what, what sort of what sort of things should people have? If you can find a way of phrasing it that people have an idea in their mind, you know, it's the equivalent of a new laptop, or it was equivalent of you know, yes, five so, new laptops sort of thing. You know, oh no, no, no. It's, it's, okay, so um. It's important to note that when I went to the solicitor, I had a good idea of what I wanted. And um, I had a good idea because I'd already put various documents together, having spoken to friends and other people in a similar situation, right? And, oh, I actually got a really other, really important piece of advice. I've just remembered, but I'll get to that in a moment. Um, and the thing, so I had documents that said what I wanted. What I needed from the solicitor was to take what I had written and turn it into into legalese such that I was covered. I also actually got the, I mean, the terms and conditions are like 10, 11 pages of dense legalese. I got the, I, I said to the solicitor, and actually that's the thing that cost the most. I wanted a two page document where for each section within the legalese, there was a two or three line summary. So I could say, here's the legal stuff you should give to your lawyer. Here is for you who's not a lawyer or solicitor. So you have an understanding of what the intent is for each section of the terms and conditions. And with all of that, because it, I was fairly clear and I, I, it wasn't backwards and forwards, you're looking at probably a specced out MacBook, 13-inch MacBook Air to cover yourself. And so that's not very much if you work on the basis that's going to make sure you get paid. And if you don't get paid, you've got good standing and your IP is sorted out and all of that sort of stuff, you know, it keeps you covered. It's that safety net. And also you can build a relationship. Your solicitor then knows what is going on and your solicitor can help you find out when you get into those tricky situations because they already know what you want to do, what you want to say and how you want to frame the relationship. Okay, I think uh, yeah, this has been really useful. I, I know some people online have been struggling to hear some of it. Hopefully, they'll go and download the show afterwards. But um, so we're going to bring the, the show to a, a close. So yeah, what what will be your one last final piece of advice you'd want to give people? Um, try and make sure that you are emotionally detached when sending emails of a difficult nature to and from a client, and it is important that you are careful what you say in emails purely because if there is ever a situation they might get pulled out and so try not to lose your rag try not to be insulting just you know keep a calm professional head and you know if your client decides they want to lose their rag so be it but be the picture of calm professional business-like nature and uh try not to waffle too much that's the lesson i've had to learn <laughs> Oh, that is so hard. <laughs> you just want to tell them where to go. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's so tempting, right? But it's yeah. uh, you've you got to be careful. You've got to be careful. 
Well, thanks for that, Chris. I mean, it's been a, a really interesting show. Um, sorry about the Skype problems. Or maybe we need to buy Skype out and just you know deal with this stuff. Um, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a shame you can't do three-way FaceTime or something like that, right? Yeah, it's uh, in fairness, Skype is definitely the best of all the services out there. But it's um, it's it's it, some, sometimes it's just a you know, it just doesn't want to do it. And I guess I guess it's not Skype's fault. They're doing the best they can on the infrastructure that's out there. Um, and John, you've had to be quiet, and I know you've been causing trouble in the chat room. But um, you know, it's been great having you with us again uh, after a couple of weeks away from each other. He's not talking to me now. Right, uh, um, Chris, tell people where they can follow you on Twitter, or on app.net, uh, your website, any of that other information. Just just do it quickly. We'll make sure everything else goes in the show notes. So, yeah, the, the essential stuff. Okay, twi- Twitter is at Dark Rock, as in Dark Place, Rock as in Hard Place. Uh, my company is Hidden Memory, and you can find me at hiddenmemory.co.uk. And, yeah, if you've got any questions, just ping me on Twitter, and uh, I'll try and... You'll answer them for free. I'm not, I, oh, and also, I'm not a lawyer or solicitor. I just, I can, but I can recommend going and talking to one because they will help you out. Yeah, I mean, we're going to say you. This show does not constitute legal advice. If you take only this show as your uh, recommendation for where you do your contracts, um, not only are we not responsible, but you are a complete idiot. Yeah, pretty um, much. So yeah, that's our, that's our sort of. I don't know. Maybe the lawyer wouldn't say that's a good enough disclaimer, but that's my disclaimer. <laughs> This is not a podcast about law. This is just a podcast about best experience. Thank you very much. Maybe you should come and do this show. <laughs> <laughs> and John, uh, you've uh, yeah, just remind people who are because they may have forgotten after all these weeks. Well, you can find me on Twitter as Jembe. That's D J E M B E, like a West African drum. You can find out all about my product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com, and. I have some blogs which I've written over the years at memoryminer.com slash blog. Okay, and I'm Scotty. You've been listening to iDeveloper Live, episode 62. Um, thank you for joining us, those in the chat room. Sorry again about the problems, but you've asked some good questions today. There's been some good chat going on and some good Doctor Who conversations as well. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and John telling lots of people off for it. Uh, uh, please check out our video courses at iDeveloperLive.tv. NS Conference Mini, 17th of September, um, a whole bunch of stuff about how to work with designers, do design, how to design code to work in that environment. It's not just about drawing pretty pictures or designers telling you how crap you are. It's real valuable day on uh, working um, you know, in an, a UX, UI uh, design environment as, as a developer. It's just not for you as a developer. It's not expecting you to be a designer. It's how you work as a developer with these people and you know, in conjunction and in team and make it all work. Um, check that out at iDeveloper.com. Um, dot tv slash ns conference uh my name is scotty you can follow me on twitter as mac devnet you can follow me on app.net as scotty yes yes but uh not if you're a trekkie please i don't want to know anything about that <laughs> uh, and uh, uh that's it oh i need to queue up the music see i've just lost i've lost all interest in getting this properly right i'm just queuing up the music now so this is me waffling while the music's coming up and uh that's it i think i'm just about ready to do the music so i'm gonna say thank you for listening and until next time you Take care.